what I understand were health problems brought about by an excessive work ethic. Though my father's childhood stories were rare to my ears, even they subsided when the subject of partition came up, at which point he would either go to bed, work, or silently disappear behind a newspaper. All I knew about partition from both my parents was that it was horrendous, that the family somehow survived, and that my father's family lost everything and came to Delhi as refugees. Saturday night in West London was the Indian social night. A merry band of my parents and their friends would congregate in someone's house on a rota basis. This was the surrogate extended family that all of these NRIs, or non-resident Indians, seemed to have hankered for. Inevitably, all of them had little family in the UK. So the weekend was the smash-and-grab opportunity for them to get their desi familial fix before returning to the not-altogether-warm welcome of daily English life. Spices, herbs and fruit from Mother India were not readily available, a curry being something that came out of a packet to which you added boiling water and, by enforcement of some diabolical bylaw, had to contain sultanas. And so food from home was understandably precious. A guest always revealed a mango or some okra in a very dramatic fashion, like a Victorian illusionist punctuated by the audience's oohs and ahs, culminating in the gentle thud of someone fainting. To this day, I still sense an endorphin rush around exotic fruit. The chatter during these evenings would build to a crescendo, timed perfectly to peak with the arrival of the last guest. Then chat gave way to the harmonium and the raucous singing of traditional and filmy songs. As social exhaustion set in, the songs would turn melancholic and all the adults would in turn lose themselves in some unified memory of personal loss, though partition was never ever spoken of. My parents and their friends imparted to me two visions of India. One was a rosy pre-partition vista of innocent, wide-eyed endearment, images of play, wonder and hope. These were still the days of the British Raj, when Gandhi urged a radical new approach that was inspiring the masses. Leaders like Jawaharlal Nehru were urging the people to push this fetal nation down the birthing canal towards the light of independence. After several hundred years, India was finally to be free, and all that that small four-letter word implies. There was so much hope. The other vision of India was of a country rent in two by upheaval and hardship, confusion and hurt, India post-independence. This was the India of the melancholic song, of friends, family and land that my parents and many of their peers would never see again. The realisation that freedom does indeed come at a price a free India that they were forced to desert in order to survive. So even though I was an easy-going kid, albeit with a fear of large, loud groups of Indian people, the announcement of an impending trip to the old country always filled me with excited apprehension. Perhaps this time I was going to encounter some small pocket of old India, the India of hope and ideals. However, hope was all I ever took with me in my small grey suitcase, and when I returned to England, it would still be lying there, underneath my maroon wife runs and crisp white vests. I only ever seemed to meet the new India of discord and confusion. 
These long holidays were spent with my family in the capital city of New Delhi. My widowed paternal grandmother lived on the third floor in a tenement flat, which consisted of two rooms and a small polished granite area that doubled as a makeshift kitchen and bathroom. The communal toilets were outside the flat along the communal hall. She shared these living quarters with my widowed aunt and her three children. When we pitched up, the already scarce floor space totally disappeared. In those days, the main's water supply only ran until 9am, so my grandmother would wake at 6am and fill plastic buckets with enough cold water for the day. Even to an easy-going kid from West London, those long, hot vacations seemed like an almost sadistic catalogue of discomforts and inconveniences. Water was precious, electricity was scarce, and power cuts were frequent and spontaneous. Mosquitoes dive-bombed with gay abandon.